1 Timothy 5, 22. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself, what's the last word? Pure. Pure. Lay hands suddenly on no man. In the context of this scripture, we find that Paul encourages, as the church is exploding... And, and we're in the midst of a study on the letters that Paul wrote to the early church. And, and they literally, I mean, we've been studying in 1 Thessalonians. They're there in Thessalonica two to three months, and this work just is thriving. You have people from all walks of life. You have people coming together uh, under the umbrella of the gospel, which is how it should be, right? And, and they're jumping into the church, and they're jumping into their, their own sanctification. And Paul says, listen, you're going to find the need for leaders. You're going to find the need in this context of church growth to elect people and put them in places. But here's what I want you to understand. Do it slowly. As fast as the Holy Spirit is moving, you should be in the same direction, slow to lay hands on the leaders that are going to help lead those people in spiritual growth. We're, we're in a different place uh, in, in Bethlehem's history now than when we first started. A much different place. We're, we have need for more leaders. Um, but the men that will be affirmed as elders and Cody that will be ordained and installed as family pastor today have been doing their position for over a year before we ever affirmed, affirmed them, laid hands on them, or ordained them and installed them into their position. Some have been preparing for this for years, for decades at this point. And so uh, we follow Paul's leading when he says, listen, don't be, don't be hasty in what you're doing. And I want you to know that today we're not being hasty with this decision. It's been thought out. It's been prayed over. Uh, there should be an approval process. Days like today started with conversations years ago, years ago. My desire this morning is that we ordain and install Cody into the family pastor role and affirm Mike and Rob as elected elders to our board of elders. Each one of these men have displayed the qualifications for an elder continually since they have become members of our church. Cody has served alongside and been a co-laborer of mine for many years, and I've watched him grow and mature, and I'm sure that he would say the same thing about me. Growth and maturity. Man, I'm not what I once was. I ain't as good as I want. No, just kidding. <laughs> Scripture says that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And could not, I could not affirm that or I could not stress that or overstate that more with this young man. The gifts and callings of God are without change. And what the Lord has done and what he is continuing to do has been made evident by a life of service. Let's continue th through scripture here. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no man, this is, some of this will be specifically to Cody. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. And he has been all these things. I find a similar uh, situation. When I first started in ministry, I'm the young guy, the new kid on the block, if you will. And many of the gray hairs were looking at this young fella like, what is happening? What is going on? What are these ideas? And, and when I come to places like this, when Paul had a young Timothy, and he said, hey, don't let them despise your youth. Let your life be an example to them. 
You see, when we boil it down as far as leadership, what we're going to find is it's a life to follow. It's not someone pointing the way, but it's someone that is paving the way. It is someone that is laying the groundwork. And what I say to you today is understand this, that people will look down on you for your age and then just say, haters going, hey, hey, hey. No, I'm kidding. But you look at them and you say, hey, I'm not going to be despised according to my age, but I am going to let my walk speak for me. Let your walk speak for you. Mike and Rob, you have shouldered major roles in our ministry. Uh, one is literally in the sound booth today. We couldn't get him out of there. We're, we're almost there. We almost have people to take your place. But you have shouldered major roles in our ministry. Mike oversees discipleship, and Rob has recently begun oversight in our reach and care teams. Both of you men have proven to walk and serve from a place that is deeper, watch this, than a position. I, I often hear of people um, man, I'd really like to volunteer for that spot. But there's a difference between someone who wants to volunteer for a spot and someone who is in the spot already. A clear difference. One is a role of a leader. And both of you have assumed that and exhibited that. Let me draw your attention to this scripture. I found this so helpful. First Samuel 16, 6 through 7, it says this. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his, what does it say? Countenance. Or on the what? Height of his stature. Because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For a man looks on the outward, but the Lord looketh on the what? On the heart. You see, the story goes as the prophet Samuel was there to ordain the next king of Israel, the leader, if you will, to affirm him, to say the Lord has put a calling on your life. And, and let me make this abundantly clear. What we're doing today is spiritual warfare. What we're doing today is appointing someone to the ranks of leadership in a spiritual system, not a physical system. You may see it as, you may see it as someone who, did it cut out? Nope, we're still there. You may see this as, as a, a, a position on a website or a, a spot on an org chart, but the Lord sees it as someone who is responsible for souls of men and women and children. This is a, a spiritual thing, and, and when it was time for Israel, mind you, Israel didn't want to wait. They elected, they had already grabbed a Saul, they had already grabbed the tallest, the strongest, the prettiest, and put him in a position, and how did that go? It didn't. Electing someone quickly outside of God's timing for reasons that are not God's leads to disaster. And so uh, we see an example here that Samuel shows up to the house of Jesse. And Jesse says, here's my son Eliab. He's got to be your pick. His face will look great on uh, the, the yard signs when we, when we put it out there that he's the new king of Israel. And the Lord says, that's not my guy. That's not him. You think it's him because of the way he looks, because of the way he acts, because of his giftings, but guess what? There's another son, and his name is David. And he's in a field somewhere tending to sheep. He's doing what the others don't want to do. And he doesn't look the way they look, but I'm telling you, my calling is on his life. So when it comes to electing and affirming and ordaining pastors and elders, let's not be hasty to say, oh yeah, they can do this, they can do that. Look at, they look, they look the part. 
I'm not really, and, in, and frankly, in my years of ministry at this point, all of the people that I look to that look the part, guess what? Failed. <laughs> Miserably. Miserably. It's funny, when the Lord's calling goes before someone, humility will always follow it. But someone who thinks they belong there, take heed lest they fall. And so when we move forward in this today, I'm telling you, man, you guys are ahead of the game. We're avoiding pretty people. All of you fit the bill here. All of it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> We're, we definitely didn't look on your countenance. You know what I'm saying, Rob? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I had to joke. But it's real. We start, here's a statement. I, here, here's something I wrote here for this, if I can find it. Our process should happen. Listen to this. Our process. What are your processes? How do you elect pastors? Here's where it is. Our process should happen from the inside, right? From the inside out, not the outside in. How did this begin? How did we get to this place? Well, it started about conversations on the inside. Where's your calling where is your heart and the purpose that God has for you? All of those are internal things. So if we're starting from an internal place, we're going to be okay. The, the rest will follow. Should I tell them? Never mind. I'll leave it alone. Our process should happen from the inside out and not the outside in. When the early first century church was ready to expand their leadership, here's some scriptures that, that uh, reveal how their governance went. Acts 6, 3 through 5. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Where did they start? On the where? On the inside. Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Pumbaa, no, I'm kidding, and Parmenius, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. Just trying to keep it light here. We should also note that the appointment of elders in Paul's early churches were often accompanied by prayer and fasting. So when looking at the New Testament church, when, when they were ready to expand their leadership, they said, look, we need to look on the inside. We need to make sure that their hearts are prepared, that they're filled from the inside with the Holy Spirit, and out, out, out of that will flow the work of leadership in our church. And then also don't miss this, that there were people that were uh, of good report and, and, and that were following the Holy Spirit, and they were submitting to that, and those men were elected to the affairs of the church, not even to praying and, and, and the ministry of the word. So in their church leadership, they had specifically pastors that literally just preached the word and prayed, and then other pastors that took care of the administration of the church. Uh, and, and I feel like we have gotten to that boiling point as a church, um, where I can't be continually in the word of God and in prayer and shepherding the flock of God, uh, because there are a lot of those other things. So I sense and I feel where they were, but, but it wasn't find someone quickly and just plug the hole. No, no, no. Paul was consistent in, in his theology, right? And then in how he let this actually play out practically in the church. Acts 14, 23. And when they had ordained them elders, watch this, in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord 
on whom they believed. Jesus himself, think about this. Luke 6, 12 through 13, it says that we, he went up into the mountain and prayed all night and continued in prayer to God before he chose his 12 disciples. Listen, what, what we should be asking is, what can we do? How are we a part of this process? Prayer. Have you considered taking a day out of your week and fasting for our elders and our pastors in this church? Have you considered engaging in spiritual warfare for those that are praying for you and those that are going uh, to bat for you spiritually? Listen, what we do, we, we take very seriously here. When, when someone engages in a marital conflict or when someone has uh, suffering that enters their life or a health problem, I don't come to them and say, well, what medications are you taking? I think I can, I think I can help. <laughs> Let me Google real quick, WebMD. What, what do you got? What's your problem? And if you do that, by the way, just stop. <laughs> just stop. Anyway, uh, neither here nor there. I don't say that. Here's, here's my part. Here's what I do. I say, hey, let me pray for you. And then I actually pray. Let me take a day and fast for you uh, about your spouse that's not saved. Like, we actually believe this stuff. We, we actually believe that, that prayer works and that the Holy Spirit goes before us and that we engage on another level beyond the natural and we enter into a supernatural realm. I believe that. They ordained elders in every church. We have to consider, too, that in their model, they had a ton of house churches, like little, little gatherings of people that were considered churches, and in every one of those, it was an active role of Timothy and Paul to continue to train up and raise up leaders as elders and bless them in those roles so that they can minister with the people. The term elder is presbyteros. That was an Old Testament designation of leadership. Some of you, when you read the text, you're like, elder, that means somebody old. Not always. And uh, here we go. It was an Old Testament designation of leadership with the term overseer that we see in the New Testament. Episcopos in 1 Timothy 3.1, it was a Greek city-state or designation of leadership. So you see that these terms were interchangeable, whether they were uh, from an, an Old Testament or the Jewish ritual into a more uh, projected into the first century context. Those, both of those words were used to define leadership. And these two terms are used uh, synonymously in the New Testament in Acts 20, 17, 28, 1 Peter 5. They're used of the office and function of pastor in Titus 1, 5, and 7. So here's where I'm going to just give you my little piece about this, my little bit. In New Testament polity, so under, understanding the church leadership or how this plays out, uh, we have three kinds here in the Jerusalem Council. If you read Acts 15, when uh, the church there at Jerusalem basically hosted this first council. Here's a little history lesson, right? You ready? Uh, and, and they came together, all these different, different churches, house churches, all of that. And, and they were settling issues within the church. Here's some things that we see. We see, number one, an Episcopalian uh, structure in their church. Why? Because James was an authoritative leader in Acts 15. We also see Presbyterian. 
a group of elders reviewed the things that were up for discussion in the Jerusalem council. And then also, for you Baptist people, there was congregational, uh, there was a congregational polity or, or structure because they all voted uh, in regards to the specific issues. So right there in Acts chapter 15 in the Jerusalem council, we see all three major church leadership structures that were right there in the text. So for the Baptists that say, well, all the church people should vote about it, and that's just how it should be. Those Presbyterians, they don't know how it is. Well, there were also elders that reviewed it, and there were also an Episcopalian where there was one ruler, James, who expressed authority over all of them. So before we're quick to say, this is how it is, this is how it should be, my point is is that we see all three major types of church governance there in Acts chapter 15, and we have chosen uh, an elder rule model at Bethlehem for various reasons, and we also have certain provisions Uh, that our congregation leads and votes in per our constitution. So we have a hybrid model here in our church leadership. We're not a a strictly Baptist church leadership. It's not. uh, It's a bit of a hybrid role, but I I don't feel like you can be dogmatic about these things just based on what we see represented in Scripture. So uh, hopefully that puts you at ease a little bit. Uh, Elder rule, where's this in the Bible? It's there. What about congregational rule? It's there too. There's a piece of that. What about when they have a board of elders? It's it's there also in the same text. Uh, All three are represented. So it's not a black and white, right and wrong. It's what what has the Lord led us to do? Are we one of those three? Yes. Are are we a combination of? Sure. Um, and, And I think that Uh, We can move safely forward in our church leadership and our church structure, knowing that our governance is very biblical in the way that we have structured and set things up. Let's go to Acts 20, verse 17 through 38. That's all of the, you know, the stuff that I just felt like I needed to share because we're a new church. Some of you, you know everything I just said. Uh, You've been around the block three times already, uh, and you're in that season of life where you don't really care. Uh, Just, pastor, make the decision. Who's blowing up my phone? My goodness. Somebody is. All right. Uh, You know, you don't really care about how this all plays out. You just want to show up, serve once or twice a year, and move on with your business. But that's not everybody. Some people here this morning are loaded up with scriptures for you to go back and look at and for you to understand why we do what we do in the church and and how it plays out. Now I transition uh, to a passage of scripture that I think is just, it just... uh, It represents the heart of a pastor. It represents the hearts of our elders and how we move forward spiritually in our church. So go to Acts, Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Acts 20, verse 17. I want to read this whole thing. I'm going to read from 17 to verse 38. This is Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders. So consider this. Paul had been doing ministry. He had appointed Timothy to this certain area, and they had been going through, winning people to the Lord, discipling, training up leaders, and, and deploying these leaders in these church churches that were all over Ephesus. And Paul knew that, I mean, remember even our story from him being in Thessalonica, the Jews, they would get upset with him, and they would run him out of town, right? They would, they would uh, persecute him. Uh, they would they try to stone him, they try to steal him, capture him, all these crazy things. So Paul was constantly on the move. He was constantly going from one place to the next to the next because they were after him. They were trying to shut him down. 
Um, but I think, we get a, I think we get a really clear view of Paul's heart in this passage when he knew that he wasn't going back to Ephesus. He knew that his time with these leaders was over and that this would be the last time that he had to talk with them. And he, he literally lays it all on the court. He, he puts it all out there. And, and I just, I feel like it's just a beautiful passage of scripture. And remember, this is Paul talking to other fellow pastors that have been discipled and left there in their position to continue to minister to the flock. So let's read this together. I'm reading it in a different version uh, for sake of time. Uh, verse 17 through 38. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. When they came to them, he said to them, Paul, You know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility with tears. And during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews, you know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or or from the teaching uh, you publicly and from house to house, I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward, uh, toward God and the house and our Lord Jesus. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that the chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. This is it. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent. Of the blood of all of you, he transfers authority. Because I I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves. And for all the flock which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as an overseer. Think about that church. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I sparing the flock, men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each of you with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing, You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way I have shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said it is more blessed to what? Give than to receive. After he said this, he knelt down and prayed with them all. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most of all, over his statement that they would never see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. What a powerful conversation. What an incredible conversation as the Apostle Paul says, bring the elders or the leaders to me. 
What, what were his final comments? How did Paul move forward knowing that he would never see them again? Knowing that even the Holy Spirit was letting him know. Can you imagine? What happens when, when you are literally informed by the Holy Ghost of God that you're going to go through tragedy? You're going to go through a trial. It, it is literally going to come to an end. The, the Jews, they're going to catch up to you. You will be caught in a snare. And eventually the Roman Empire will do their bidding. You will lose your life, Paul. What did he do? He said, bring the elders unto me. I have to commission them one last time. And I think for any pastor, for any elder, you three especially at this moment, because it's for, it's for you, <clears throat> there are incredible things in this passage to glean. I just chose three. Number one, the elders know the plan. In verse 27, he says this here, because I did not avoid declaring unto you the whole plan of God. Church, I'm gonna let you in on this conversation that I'm having with our elders uh, given to me by the apostle Paul. An elder is someone who knows the plan. If we have a propensity in the New Testament church, which we do, to say, what's the plan? What is going on? Oh my goodness gracious, it's changing so fast. Who are these people? I don't even know. Understand this, that if it's actually structured the way Paul intended through the Holy Spirit, inspiration it is literally something that we're waiting on God to tell us and then we are acting upon that movement from the Holy Spirit the the point Paul is making here is listen I've not withheld anything from you concerning the Lord's will an elder knows the plan what is the purpose of a leader in the church well to administer the plan of God to say this is the Lord's will this is the direction that we're headed an elder knows the plan Paul said I didn't withhold it from you Number two, the Bible says that the elders know the truth. Look at verse 31. He says, he says it this way, he puts it, therefore be on the alert, remembering night and day. Be on the alert. Understand that people will with, from within our own church rise up and try to splinter or say, that's not what the Bible says. That's not clear. They'll, they'll cause splinters or schisms or issues with what the plan is, right? So elders know the plan, and elders, number two, know the truth. These men, we've walked through some things even in the last year where it was clear to all of us, we were all on the same page, that this is what the truth is. This is the direction that we need to go, and we stuck to it. Is it always popular? No. Is it always easy? No. Did Paul, was Paul like, Guys, this is amazing. You've made it. Just enjoy. <laughs> what a great spot. Church leadership. You're going to love it. <laughs> is, that, is that what it sounded like? He was like, y'all, I'm running for my life. I mean, Satan's coming. He doesn't like what we're doing. I haven't withheld anything from you. You know that. You know that what we're doing here is God's plan. God's purpose. If it, was, if it was reverse, I wouldn't have been working with my own hands. I wouldn't have been providing for those that are going without. I wouldn't be showing uh, and doing this leadership in this way. It's costing me everything. Hey, true elders understand the plan. They understand what the truth is. And number three, they know the sacrifice. They know the sacrifice. Verse 35 through 38, listen to this. In every way I've shown you, it's more blessed to what? Give than to receive. It's difficult. It's hard in this context 
it's really easy for us to look and point to a false teacher. And let me just speak to you American church real quick. It's, it's really easy for us to just change the channel and find some pastor on a TV that's like a celebrity pastor that's driving a Rolls Royce just from his book sales, right? It's really easy for us to justify our attitude towards elders and pastors. But I, prom- I guarantee if any of you set in on the meeting with Paul, if any of you were present as Luke the physician was recording what Paul was saying, none of you would look at Paul and condemn him for the way he was acting as a leader in that context. None of you would say to Paul, yeah, whatever, you were stealing money. Your book sales, bro, that's how you're making it. Let's not disconnect from our local church context because of a mirage of what Satan is trying to distract us with. Your church leaders in this context, your church elders know the sacrifice. When we learn of something in our local church context of people that need something, we are the first ones. And I'm not, was Paul bragging? No, it was reality. It's reality. People will not understand the sacrifice of a church leader. And so before you stand in the seat of judgment or sit in the seat of the scornful, Understand this, that in our church context, we are the first, we are the front lines, and we carry that sacrifice out of respect for our Lord, but out of a deep calling and regard for where the Lord is leading us. I can't think of a better passage than Acts 20 for you to see the heart of Paul and for us as leaders to understand the weight of what we're doing and for us to understand the weight of our calling and how we move forward. This isn't a... (laughs) this isn't some kind of tele-evangelist thing. It's not. This is real life where we look around and we meet each other's needs and we pray for each other. And when someone is hurting and in pain, we go to them. And those of you that are in our church that have experienced that, know that it's real. And know that the Lord has a plan and and he set this structure up for a reason. The point that will lead us into our last portion of the service here where we will actually lay hands on and ordain Cody and affirm our elders is this. Look at verse number 20, I think it's 22 and 28. Yes, look at verse number 22 there in Acts chapter 20. Verse number 22 and 28. It says this, and now I am on my way to Jerusalem compelled by the what? By the spirit. Verse 22, it says he is on his way compelled by the spirit. And verse 28, it says this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, that's the people, of which the who? Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers. Here's my point. Here's our prayer today. This is our prayer. Lead us, Lord, in your Holy Spirit. Paul made it abundantly clear that he was leaving to face whatever the Holy Spirit had for him. And then when he was uh, really affirming and ordaining them to continue ministry, here's what he said to them. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God leads you. We're not here on our own volition and our own free will. If we were, we would pray that we would not be. If we find ourselves leaders in a place and in a position where we feel like we're actually the ones doing it, 
where we are actually the ones ministering to the flock of God, where we are feeding, where we are giving our own wisdom, God forbid, we should repent and be in a place of prayer where we say, Holy Spirit, lead us. Paul was very clear that he got his marching orders from the Holy Spirit of God. And so as we move forward and we lay hands on him, we pray, here's what I'm asking of you today. I'm asking that you will pray that God will lead your leaders in his Holy Spirit. That's a very simple, clear prayer, but I cannot think of a more important one, even reading Paul in his duress at this point in his ministry. How many will commit today for the remainder of our service to pray for your leaders and your elders as we affirm and ordain that God would lead us in his Holy Spirit? How many will pray that as you're a part of the service? Awesome. Listen to this scripture verse. Come on up there. Listen to this scripture verse. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. The elders which are among you, I exhort. Who, I, who, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Here it is. Listen, fellas. Feed the flock of God which is among you taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre's sake, but of a ready mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Isn't that our prayer? That God will lead us, that God's Holy Spirit will guide us, that, that we can actually be an example. I don't want to be a stumbling block to anyone here. I want to love you. I, I want to give spiritual direction That's it. I'm not God. I'm I'm an under-shepherd. I'm someone that's here to help. I'm someone that's here to guide and and look for blind spots and and, and being commissioned here, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage. You, listen, God bought and paid. Jesus bought and paid for the church with his what? His blood. We are stewarding something that was something that we could not pay for. We are stewarding something today that is something that we could not afford. God's heritage. But being in samples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. Is there a better verse of scripture? Is there a more important passage for today? I don't think so. Feed the flock of God which is among you. I'm going to ask Cody and Chelsea. Y'all can come sit right there. Actually, I'm going to move you up here. Get you in the light. Amen. This, This is a historic day. A monumental day. Your prayers, your prayers going before them, praying that the the Holy Spirit would lead them, is going to help you. The Lord didn't leave you alone. If you're hurting today, if you're struggling today, if you're pondering, if you're wondering, you're meant to do that together. The Lord will lead us to help each other. And this structure is called the church. And as we install a family pastor today, we don't just install a family pastor, we know we install a couple. We know he wouldn't be, you might as well go sit down. I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it's, 
It is a package deal. If there's one thing that I've learned in ministry is that if this isn't right, I mean, she's just doing her own thing, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) If this isn't right, then this isn't right. And it's only a matter of time before that comes out. Only a matter of time. This has got to be right. That's got to be right. And you have to protect that. I prepared five things, five questions that I have for you. First of all, come on down, Mike. I think <laughs> Facebook, we're, we're going into the rest of our service without a sound man at the soundboard. All right. Y'all pray for us. Come on down. Robin Haley, come on down. Where's DJ at? DJ, come on down. Pastor Ray, whenever you're ready. Come on down. And fellas, if you could just sit right here on the front row. And then Rob with your wife. If you want to take that first seat, you can. Amen. Just come on right down here. Yeah, right there. (laughs) Board of Elders, and we'll let you act in this statement too. Do you affirm the calling of Cody's life and present him for ordination in the gospel ministry? Yes. Cody, this is a, however you, if you say I do or I will or however you want to answer this, it's up to you. Cody, do you promise with God's help to keep yourself from the appearance of evil and any dealings that would bring reproach, reproach upon the name of Jesus and Bethlehem Church? Do you promise with God's help to keep your marriage pure from sexual sin and guard your life from the enemy's attack? Do you promise with God's help to keep your home in order as to offer a biblical example for our church to follow after? Do you promise with God's help to live a life of prayer and seek to be spirit-filled in your walk with the Lord? And the last one, do you promise with God's help to exhibit enduring faith to our Lord, no matter what the earthly cost may be. At this time, elders, if you can come up, I wanna lay hands on him and his wife, gently on her shoulder, only place. Come on up. (laughs) When we're praying today, what are you praying for, church? That he would be led by who? Come on now. The attention span, I'm, I'm struggling with it. What are we praying for him specifically today to be led by? Who? The Holy Spirit. So as we lay hands on him, we're praying that the Holy Spirit would fill him and that God would give him the power and the wisdom to lead and guide in our church. I believe that supernaturally, God will bless, God has blessed this young man. But I believe that the wisdom that you're looking at him with today will not be the same as the wisdom that he'll have tomorrow. I believe that the Holy Spirit will fill a young man will lead a young man. How do I know that? Because he's done it in my life. There are things that I've said through the years, things that I've done, there are things that we've said and things that we've done that we look back and we go, that was not us. I had no clue, but the Lord protected, the Lord went before, the Lord gave us the word that we needed. How many believe that God is real? How many believe that the Holy Spirit is real? And if you don't, I want to encourage you today, someone standing before you that can, I can attest to the fact that he's real. And so as we lay hands on today from a pastor that's been doing it for years and years and years, 
to a pastor that's been doing it over a decade, men that have gone through and walked through challenges, thick stuff. We're not saying we're perfect, but we're saying the Lord will allow us, watch this, to steward the Holy Spirit to this young man and that the Lord would fill him with his power and that he would lead him. Let's lay hands on him and pray.
Amen. Since, since we're all up here, uh, what I want to do, you can, you can go down if you'd like. I want to bring Mike and Rob in front here. And then we're going to pray over them. We'll slip behind them here. If y'all want to sit there on the stools, you can. I think we're good. <laughs> Rob and Mike, are you called by the Holy Spirit into gospel ministry today? Do you promise with God's help to keep yourself from the appearance of evil and in, in any dealings that would bring reproach upon the name of Jesus in Bethlehem Church? Do you promise with God's help to keep your singleness and your marriage pure from sexual sin and guard your life from the enemy's attack? Do you promise with God's help to keep your home in order as to offer a biblical example for our church to follow after? Do you promise with God's help to live a life of prayer and seek to be spirit-filled in your walk with the Lord? Do you promise with God's help to exhibit enduring faith to our Lord, no matter what the cost? Amen.
Amen. Give these men a hand. I've got something for uh, the, two, the two new ones. Amen. So you'll find a gift inside for you. Thank you so much for your service to the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Rob and Haley. Give them, give them one more hand. Amen. And Cody, your ordination certificate. Amen and your gift. Love you. Amen. <laughs>